Hey guys, it's Lori here. Just letting you know that this episode is brought to you by the Christian Standard Bible. Learn more at csbible.com. Hello and welcome to the Hole in My Heart podcast. This is episode 114, take two, seeing friends as siblings. Hello and welcome to that Hole in My Heart podcast where we talk about how the gospel is good news for everyone every day. I am your host, Lori Krieg, and I do have alongside me my favorite licensed therapist and Argyle expert, my husband, Matt Krieg. Hello. Hi, Matt. And we also have with us the ever faithful and most professional radio voice among us, producer Steve. Hi, guys. Oh, man. Today, we are continuing our series called Take Two, where we are grabbing some of our favorite episodes from the last four seasons. And how are they our favorites? Well, we just looked at how often and how many listens they had. Uh, And then we were like, man, which ones did we keep thinking about? And today, this is an episode that we were like, ooh. That was, there was a good message there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we get to talk to Rachel Gilson again, talking about how to better engage with friendships in a healthy way and just kind of how do we deal with temptation if that crops up in a friendship. Yeah, and we chose this episode because it was really practical and um, I get a lot of emails from you all, which I love, love, love hearing from you all, but just how do we navigate this thing called healthy friendships and relationships, especially if we wrestle with attractions to the same sex or even if we don't, how can we just be normal, healthy, a normal, healthy church? Mm. Now, I don't know about, uh, what's the church in a normal way? Who knows? It should Mm. be alive and vibrant, but that's another conversation. But Steve, I would love to hear more about who is Rachel Gilson. Yeah. Okay. So uh, interestingly, this was her second appearance on the podcast. Uh, She also was with us for episode 40, but uh, she's on the leadership team of theological development and culture with crew. Uh, She's a writer and a speaker who lives in the Boston area with her husband and daughter and is the author of the book, Born Again This Way, Coming Out, Coming to Faith, and what comes next. Okay, Steve, roll the tape. Okay, let's get a little deeper. Rachel, last time you're on again, episode 40, guys, you can check that previous podcast episode out. We did hear the, I guess, long form version of your story, which is beautiful. So you guys should listen to that. So this is kind of the abbreviated version that we're going to be asking you via the pair of questions that we ask every guest every week, which it is this. Well, it is these, (laughs) this this pair, (laughs) these questions, whatever. Okay. What is grammar? What are words? I'm not writing a book. Okay. (laughs) If the gospel is, I am more loved than I imagine and yet more sinful than I believe. When was that gospel first good news for you, Rachel? And how is it still? Well, it was first good news for me about 16 years ago Mm. when I was a freshman in college. Uh, I had showed up at Yale University, one, not knowing what winter was, so that was bad news, being Connecticut from Mm. California. But um, two, I showed up pretty committed to a hardcore version of atheism and super committed to the idea that I wanted to marry a woman someday. Mm. So, Christianity was sort of not really on my radar, maybe something I totally mocked. Hmm. But the thing about being at Yale was um, it kind of wrecked me in good ways, in good ways. It, it, it tore me down in, in some healthy ways. And the Lord, um, he met me in that space. I was sitting in a lecture and they were talking about proofs for God, kind of from a Western philosophical tradition. And I started wondering I started internetting because I'm a very good millennial. 
Mm. I started asking questions about Jesus that I'd never asked before and just felt like, I, gosh, I can't be interested in Jesus. He's like a caricature. He's like not a thing, but, you know, he just has this appeal to him, actually. Mm. And it led to me um, stealing a copy of Mere Christianity from a friend of mine. Sorry, Beth. <laughs> and putting in my bag, reading it in a library one day out of interest. When I was sitting in that library, um, I was just suddenly overwhelmed because I'd been kind of thinking about the question, oh, does God exist kind of in an academic way? But suddenly I was just like hit in the chest with um, not only does God exist, but he is extremely holy. And I felt in that moment, actually, a lot of fear. Um, It's not like I knew the vocabulary word holy, you know, but I felt his transcendence, his perfection, and the fact that I was going to owe him an account. And I think, I mean, certainly, like a lot of people my generation, I know I wasn't a perfect person, but I hadn't believed in the category of sin in terms of that weighty idea. And so, when I was sitting there, talking about that part of your question, you know, more sinful than you imagined. Mm -hmm. Running through my mind, I was like, oh my gosh, I I cheat on stuff. I lie. I make fun of people. I'm mean. I'm sexually immoral. I'm reading a stolen book. You know, it's just like all the chips are in the guilty category. And I, I felt fear. But at the same time, right with it, the Spirit also revealed to me that part of the reason Jesus had come was to place himself as a barrier between God's wrath and me. And the only way to be safe was to run towards him, Hmm. not away from him. So, I'm sitting there and I'm like, well, if I become a Christian, there's like all these things about my life that are going to have to change that I don't necessarily want to change. But I also was like, well, I can't pretend this isn't true just because it's inconvenient for my life. Like, that's stupid. I'm never going to get a better deal than this, you know? Mm -hmm. So, I clenched my little eyes and said, fine. (laughs) (laughs) And and then I went to class. But I think over the next next few months, I found the um, one of the little Christian groups at Yale and getting deeply enmeshed in that community. So, receiving the forgiveness of Christ and experiencing his love through my friends, through the church for the first time, I was like, oh man, this is good stuff. Hmm. Rachel, that's really beautiful. And you guys, what I love about her book is that she unpacks where she just left off her story, like really deeply and specifically in some ways in the sense that it's like, how did she walk this discipleship journey? Like it wasn't like overnight and now I'm all good and praise Jesus. Like it, what, there was definite transformation immediate, but there was also some mistakes made and just that's a process. It's a sanctification journey. And that's, that's one of my favorite pieces of it is that getting in the dirt uh, with your real life. But Rachel, yeah, you still- sometimes when I describe my first couple years of walking with Jesus, I use the phrase open dumpster fire. Yes. <laughs> because mm. it seems uh, somewhat apropos. It, uh, yep, yep. I didn't add that to your endorsement, but mm-hmm. should I? Maybe for the second printing. Second print. Got it, got it. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm making a note. <laughs> but Rachel, you still need Jesus and how? 
Oh man, do I still need Jesus? Well, you know, the funny thing is when you when you first come to Christ from a background that's really immoral, it's like you it's pretty easy to identify like, oh, I should stop getting drunk. Oh, I should stop stealing things from right. people, you know? It's mm. uh it seems a little it seems both hard, but it's kind of obvious. Mm. I think what's been really interesting is even in frankly like the past 6 months of my life has been the realization of so much of my life looks cleaned up on the outside now. You know, I've been married for 12 years. I'm not running around committing adultery. I'm not stealing things from people. I'm not running around telling a bunch of lies. Hmm. But man, does the sin still hide in my heart. Yep. There are just still these thoughts that can pop up of anger against other people, of selfishness, wanting to throw my six-year-old out the window. I mean, that's hmm? kind of comical. My <laughs> sin isn't always that funny. <laughs> Defenestration. Indeed. Mm. And just recognizing, oh, I've been walking with Jesus 16 years and um, I still need forgiveness every day and I still need the Spirit's transformation every day. And mm. just how thankful I am that the main metaphor is that I'm his child. Like you don't get kicked out of the family. Yep. Whew. Rachel uh, and listeners, Rachel wrote a book. We're still in the editing process right now. Ours is coming out this fall. Um, we're not dumb, guys. When we write these books into controversial spaces, we're not like, oh, everyone's going to like love my story and there's going to be nothing. <laughs> Yay! Hug me. Um, so can you please tell me right this second? It's only for me. How'd you find the courage to write this book and put it out into this controversial conversation? I think that's a fantastic question. And the main reason or the main place, I guess I found the courage was from my friend, Rebecca. Hmm. Actually, she, um, she wrote a book came out last year called confronting Christianity, um, which is a great book. You should check it out if you haven't, but okay. I got to know her because she goes to my church and I told her my story one day and she looked me in the eyes and she was like, you should publish that in the New York Times. And I said, you, ma'am, are insane. <laughs> but she really pressed me to pray about whether I was stewarding my story uh, in the way God would have me. And so she kind of got me over the hurdle of putting my, putting my story out there, you know, originally. And then as we were um, talking together about, you know, who I am, what, what the church needs. It, it, she just kept kind of gently slash not so gently <laughs> suggesting that I needed to write a book. And I was like, I don't need to write. There's so many books on sexuality. Like, I don't need to write a book. I'm fine. This is great. But then what started happening was I was getting all these questions that I couldn't actually point to a book to answer. Hmm. Uh, and I think you know this too, particularly when it comes to marriage, mm. when one person experiences same-sex attraction, but not just that. And I started to realize, oh, shoot, we got a lot of books that are kind of in uh, that really great memoir space, you yeah. know, where uh, just sort of like, how am I going to reconcile these things? You know, does is my sexual orientation or my tractional patterns, are they compatible with the gospel or not? Kind of that. And we have some good books that are just sort of theology in a more straight up place like what is god's sexual ethic yeah but what we don't have a lot of yet is practical theology hmm. you know like how am i supposed to think about 
the fact that these desires might never go away. Gosh, what should I think about if these desires do go away? Like, how do I think about friendship and the possibility of marriage, the possibility of singleness? How should I think about identity, temptation? Like, we, we actually just don't have a lot in that space for us. Yep. And so I think that's through Rebecca and through recognizing that there was actually a need. I think that's how I, hmm. that's how I made the decision to write. Well, I'm super thankful you did because it, you know, other people being courageous in this space, not just writing books, but those of you listening who are writing posts, who are retweeting things, who are standing up in the pulpit <laughs> and taking hits for being outrageously graceful and outrageously truthful and just walking that tension and studying a lot. Like you guys, mm, it just gives us courage and we give you courage and we all are just doing this thing together called the body of Christ. And we're going to get stronger and stronger as more people find their voice and are going to be able to testify to what God's been doing. Oh girl. So, A major nugget that I came away with from your book was this idea of friends viewed as siblings makes life a million times better. (laughs) Isn't that (laughs) profound? Okay. (laughs) And I literally have quoted you a bunch of times and I've like said, no, it's in this book. And they're like, well, where can I get the book? I'm like, it's not out yet. Calm down. We go (laughs) pre-order. Secret access book. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That's right. So I've been quoting you. So now here you are, the person sharing said quote. Um, But can you help unpack this? Why why is that true? Well, so... Uh, when I was thinking about writing this book, I thought, oh, I need to have a chapter on friendship. Friendship has been such an important part of my Christian journey. Yeah. And then as I was examining the scriptures, I was like, hold up. I mean, friendship is there. Friendship is, it's not like an unbiblical category. But what I was confronted with was, man alive, the metaphor actually that's being used all over the place, like dripping off the pages, is actually family. Mm. And so I was like, oh, oh. What am I, what exactly should I do about that? And so as I, as I was, um, I'm an Enneagram five, if that helps any of you. So I, I just put on my little investigator hat, you know, <laughs> and dug down deep in the decks for a while. And I was like, goodness, maybe siblings is actually the stronger biblical category. What should I, what should I do with that? And as I was exploring it, I thought, man, this is actually really helpful. And so, um, I think it's helpful for a couple reasons. One, I think it's helpful because we kind of intuitively sense that um, a sibling relationship is a very special kind of relationship. It has both really deep intimacy, mm-hmm. but is absolutely not erotic. Yep. And one of the places in our society where we're getting confused is we conflate basically every type of intimacy with romance or with eroticism. Mm. Um, and, and I don't think that's a trap we need to stay in. And I think the, the vision of siblings can help us put us kind of in the right conceptual sphere. And, and the other way that I think that it helps us too is that it naturally situates us in a family. Occasionally, you'll get this best friend type situation where you get you turn inward like a like an ingrown toenail or something like you you end up pairing up in a way that actually shuts out the broader body hmm. but there's something about siblinghood that i think reminds us that we're part of a family and that doesn't mean we don't have some relationships that are deeply close like in my my book i talk about how 
you know, if you've ever read Pride and Prejudice, there's five girls in that family, but the oldest two are particularly close, but they're, but they're siblings all together. I think it kind of helps balance out that our role in the body, um, our friendships in the body include both people we're deeply close to, but also a sibling tie to everybody who claims Christ. So I just, I, I really liked the balancing that the metaphor brought to a couple different areas. Mm-hmm. I remember growing up, you know, junior high youth group and people would talk about, you know, John resting on Jesus' breast and all the, <laughs> the boys, sorry, I'm stereotyping, but they'd be like, <laughs> <laughs> because we've sexualized everything. Granted, everything. I get hormones are bathing those precious boys' brains at that point in time. But like you read that and I, even now me, like I just am like, well, it's kind of awkward, isn't it? But I don't know. Can you, what, what sort of biblical siblings are your favorites to like read about? Or just like, where do you see this? Where you're like, we would read that with our sexual eyes, sexualized eyes (laughs) this way. But really the Bible makes is saying this is actual biblical siblinghood. Well, I think, um, so one of my favorites is Mark 10. I'm pretty sure it's Mark 10. I just said that off the top of my head and now I'm feeling not confident. But, you know, where the rich young ruler comes and Mm -hmm. he gets sent away, goes away sad. Jesus looks at him with compassion. Then he kind of turns to his disciples and he's giving a lesson. He's like, man, it's, you know, it's really hard for people to enter the kingdom of God. And Peter does that thing, you know, very Peter where he's like, ha ha, well, we've left so much for you, Jesus, because he (laughs) wants affirmation in a very Peter way. And you could think Jesus would be like, Peter, calm yourself. But, but he affirms Peter, you know, he draws near to him and he's like, you're right. There's, there's actually no one who's going to leave father and mother and sisters and brothers and lands who's not going to receive so much more, not just, you know, in the kingdom to come, but right now, right here, right now, hmm. that we're supposed to be siblings, fathers and brothers and sisters and mothers to each other right now. Hmm. Um, and I thought, gosh, we're not supposed to be lonely as Christians. Like Jesus says, uh, if you leave a community, if you leave a family to join me, you're you're also joining a family. Yeah. Yep. That is Mark 10, by the way, because I've quoted that piece of it on stages <laughs> and I've had to remember that. I'm like, it's Mark 10. Um, but, I, but I do have to say, I, um, you know, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, mm. especially the whole John 11 piece, you know, where like Martha marches out and confronts Jesus. Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Mm -hmm. And Mary having her own, like just the ways that they're both grieving and Jesus is grieving with them, like the depth that they feel for their brother, Mm -hmm. how much they want him back, how much Jesus wants him back. And the fact that they're allowed to kind of respond to Jesus differently in their grief. And I do Mm -hmm. think that family in the New Testament is... um, Really beautiful to watch. Hmm. Hey, Matt, Steve. Uh Uh-huh. Yes? You want to hear something cool? Sure. What is it? So, we were in our real-life small group the other week, and Matt volunteered to read something from the Bible. Okay. Yeah, I read it, and do you know what happened? What? I got asked the question, what translation is that? Our friends loved it. Which one was it, Matt? (laughs) The CSB, (laughs) Christian Standard Bible. No kidding. The one that's been sponsoring the podcast, so you guys actually read it in real life. We really like how it reads. We're so familiar with things like the NIV and the ESV and NLT, which we love. 
But the Bible can sadly become kind of like white noise to us. Yeah. I've really appreciated how the CSB is both familiar, but also fresh and new. Yeah. That is really cool, guys. It is. So if you guys listening want to shake up your usual reading routine with a high scholarship translation that is familiar yet new, hit up csbible.com to see all of what the Christian Standard Bible has to offer. So I'm friends with a decent amount of people who would identify at some level, same-sex attracted, LGBT something, and mm-hmm. they're on their own, you know, journey toward Jesus, um, on on the becoming like Jesus journey. Uh, and so there's times when we have temptation related conversations. And so they're talking about a friend and they're like, oh man, it's so hard, but I don't feel like we should like not be friends. And then I've been bringing up more and more of this, like, this is your sister in Christ. This is your brother in Christ. And you, I can almost see a bucket of cold water, just like dump on all the mysterious fun sizzle of this friendship. That's like, is it a (laughs) friend or what? Like, so can you talk about that experience? Maybe even from your own story. Oh, that's so, uh, the image of like the cold bucket coming down is (laughs) is pretty funny. Because we do, um, you you know, the way that we kind of, you talk about like, like liking somebody or that, because friendships, can often be a place where romance is going to grow, even like in good ways, you know, sometimes we find our spouses because they're first our friends, but you're right. There can be this, I don't know, this sort of illicit thing that can grow up that, um, that the sibling, the sibling metaphor can help. I, gosh, like how much I would wish for just like a perfect flow chart of like, here's when to leave a friendship. Here's when to right. stay anyway. Here's when to back off this many units of measurement. <laughs> units like, of like. Yeah. Goodness, you know, because I, I do think it's, it's super complicated. We have to have same-sex friendships in the mm. body. We, we just have to, but sometimes in the best friendships, that's, that's right where a sense of romance can bond, you know? And I remember the first time this really happened to me, it kind of took me by surprise. I was like, oh, wait, I can't like a Christian girl. That's just, that's a category error, except <laughs> I sort of did. And so I was like, dang it. I didn't, I didn't know what to do. I, gosh, I'd barely been a Christian for any time at all. So I just, I took a risk and I told um, my discipler. Luckily, she handled it super well. Hmm. And she just treated me normally, you know, like anytime you talk about something um, that needs some spiritual care. She was like, oh, I'm so glad you told me. And and she's like, you know, why don't we talk about this too in your small group if you're comfortable, just so you can get prayer and get some accountability on your thoughts. And it, it was really incredible how just being able to acknowledge it really diffused it for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now at that point, I didn't, I wasn't necessarily thinking in the sibling category, but I think it was a good first step towards seeing that, um, the beginnings of attraction didn't have to derail a friendship. Yep. Now I would, so I love this example and a couple things I'd love to highlight is you didn't tell the person, did you? Did you tell the person? No. Okay. Why is that maybe a bad choice? So, well, one, I was young and I was like, that's probably going to make it awkward. But I do think that sometimes there's the potential if you tell the person, it, it can almost kind of link you to them even more. Like yeah. they're the one who holds this secret, you know, yep. and there's something about that type of intimacy. And especially whenever it gets paired up with secrecy, Amen. holds this deep power. Yep. Um, so, 
you know, could I call her today and tell her like, hey, you know that thing 15 years? I mean, she'd be fine, whatever. She, mm-hmm. she not even, she wouldn't worry about it. But, but it, it was really helpful for me to be able to tell other people. And yeah. again, just inviting, it's not like everybody needs to know your business. You know what I mean? But, no. if, but we do need a healthy pool of people who love Jesus and who love us and who can handle what, what we're actually experiencing. Mm. And even, I love what you're saying, people. Like it's people. not the arm of Christ. It's the body of Christ. It's not, yeah, the, it's not the thumbnail yeah, of Christ. Right, or the ingrown toenail. That was like, I was like, ooh, that's good. I'm going to steal that. Um, steal away. Okay. Uh, so, but that it's the body of Christ. And so opening up this vulnerable space is really important. But to those of you who maybe have been told this, she said a critical other phrase, which was she didn't freak out. There wasn't this, wait, uh, wait it's a girl? Like, or wait, what? Because that is going to make us start lying and hiding and all yep. sorts of other garbage. So stop freaking out and figure it out, as I tell my three-year-old, which is a good <laughs> rhyme for her. And I, I want to give her so much credit, too. And this was 2005, so yeah. we weren't as far along in the conversation as we are now. Um, but it was, I mean, she was just so gracious toward me. That's what we need, right? We just need people to not be surprised by temptation. Like there's, there's just so much in this world to be tempted by. We shouldn't yeah. be surprised, but we should, we should come at it soberly and, and gracefully. Yep. And don't be surprised if you guys see it in your own life and, you know, just to give yourself that grace. But yeah. if you guys have told someone, so let's say you're listening and you're like, oh shoot, I definitely just told that person and now I'm in trouble. Like, Give yourself grace, but maybe open up that mistake, perhaps. Again, this isn't, thou shalt not do that in the Bible, but from our, what we see as best wise judgment, maybe not the best choice, but just invite people into that space who are going to love you and hold you accountable and really drive you not toward Jesus. And when I say accountability, it's not the slap on the wrist. It's really, okay, how can we get back on mission, guys? Oh, I love that phrase, get back on mission, right? Because a lot of times what temptation does is it wants to pull away our focus from, you know, God's given me gifts and opportunities to, with his body, build his kingdom. Yep. And temptation just ends up being this big gospel waste sometimes. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I had a really great question from a listener who has been listening to the podcast and wants to open up their home to a single person, but they're aware of the potential for sexual attraction that can happen, like even though you're not looking for it. And they actually cited me and Matt as a result. Like they're like, look it, you weren't like you were friends with Matt and then the attraction grew. So here we go trying to open up our house, friends with the person, attraction grows. How do we stop that? What do you think? Can you fix it? Fix uh, it, right, Fire Jill? hose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you just, if you just apply enough high pressure water. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. We know, we know it's not that. Well, I think again, this is where we need openness, right? Can yeah. you, so we, first of all, I think more families should be doing this kind of thing. Yeah. Having multiple types of people all together, be in family together. Single people need married people. Married people need single people. Old people need young people. Young people need old people. You know what I mean? Like, yes. Let's do it. And so I think with one, just the step of acknowledging like the listener did is like already way down the path of intelligence and grace. Mm. And two, I think it's saying, okay, so let's make sure that um, husband and wife, we've got, we've got clear communication open so that if 
something came up, we could be able to either talk about it with each other or talk about it with, you know, sanctioned people outside of our marriage. There's actually been sometimes early in my marriage when I would talk to one of my very close church friends about some of the things I was um, tempted towards Mm -hmm. sexually, Mm -hmm. as opposed to my husband. Not like I would tell him if he asked me, but I thought, you know what? I'm actually going to protect him a little bit and just just talk with Jane, actually, um, Mm. which was really helpful. So figuring out the married couple for the single person, like we need people, again, this plurality of people so we could be able to talk through any of the challenges that come up with communal living because certainly the potential of attraction is not going to be the only uh, bump that could enter the scenario, right? It's a beautiful thing. So it's the kind of thing that Satan would want to destroy Mm -hmm. through some means. Yeah. The thing is figuring out, yeah, who can be, who can be a good, safe sounding board for things that come up um, that, so it doesn't get all tangled up in just the, just the three of you. Mm. I think that's really great. And and Matt and I have done this, you know, we've had uh, someone live in our house. We've had multiple people at different times and uh, Matt and I have developed a habit over the decade plus of being married, of sharing all the awkward things. We share it, the pain, the, the attraction, things like that. And even when it feels like it's going to kill us, we share it with each other. And so um, we were already in that habit. So I would just say, like, if you don't have great communication it's your, with your spouse, like, let's get working on that first yeah. before you yeah, s- invite people. Uh, I would say, you don't have to be perfect. There ain't, there's no perfect spouses, no perfect marriages, but to really be like, no, we have a pattern of openness and, you know, we've gone through some things. So I'd say that's huge. And then other times that we've done this, you know, Matt and I have been aware of these things is, uh, we'll say it, we'll set some house rules. You know, you wear clothes, everybody, all the time. <laughs> you yes. know, like that's that a, thing. a good house rule. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, the tiny humans—they've got their own thing. But uh, oh, true. But the adults do. And then I think for us, the most critical thing—you uh, know—our most one of our most successful people who lived with us for a year. Um, I think just seeing the same what we just were talking about this on mission thing is we were yes. not her parents. She was a grown up. And so (laughs) it wasn't like, oh, we got to caretake her. And oh, she's a three-year-old. So if we're doing this family metaphor, she's not a three-year-old where I have to like know everything and feed her and like do it. Right. It was, no, she's, she's like an aunt, which really that's what it was or a cousin or like where she's got her own life. So there's things I don't need to know. And there's pieces where there's days we wouldn't see her, but it was this shoulder to shoulder. That's the motion I'm doing right now, as opposed to you are our child, we'll caretake you. And that can just start some unhealthy enmeshment in general. It wouldn't even have to be like, you are my child, but there could still be an inwardness Yes, where you stopped each other from going outward. I, um, you know, I have had that experience in my own life, actually. Mm-hmm. So it's something that can sneak up on you, yeah. I think, where you're like, oh, this is a good thing. This is a good thing. And suddenly you're like, uh-oh, yeah, this is maybe not as good as it looked or as good as it was. And how do we figure out how to turn outward again? How do we figure out mm-hmm. how to make sure not just to be connected to each other in life-giving ways, but to also have life outside of each other in life-giving ways? Yeah. Which this is another podcast conversation, but like that's 
that's what we're trying to do with our children, like our biological yeah. children. It is yes. their default is self, self, no, 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 me, me, me. And so to turn us all, it takes effort in our marriage to link, to be one, to go run toward the king and be invite others into this oneness thing of the body. It's a fight to have our kids do this. But why would anyone who we'd invite into our house, they need the same outward posture. Uh, but we got to start that in our own lives. Okay, I think I just like talking about this one because it <laughs> needs to happen. But I've talked about this on the podcast a few times, but there is a risk that comes when as a same-sex attracted woman, you share about your attractions. And so like you're trying to like, okay, here's my story. I'm trying to invite these other women into this space and I want to see them as sisters and as friends. But straight women get really weird some they can get weird sometimes and they all the time not all the sometimes they're Uh, great sometimes so um like they don't want to make us stumble (laughs) etc and i just want to say to you guys we're not it just because we're attracted to same sex doesn't mean we're attracted to all of you everyone oh i had this i had this girl in college ask me if i was attracted to her Kind of, I was like, she's a straight girl, you know? And I don't think she was asking me because she felt nervous. I think she was, she just kind of wanted to know. And I was like, oh, no. And she was legit hurt. And I was like, what did you want exactly? Like, I'm not sure. Was that bad news for yeah. you? It's unclear to me what, what you're asking of me there. Yeah. I thought it was pretty funny. So, okay. Please, people. We're sharing with you these vulnerable spaces of our heart. Can you please take off your sexual eyeglasses and put on your sibling ones, please? And stop yes. being so freaking weird. Which, by the way, if you guys ask me that, I will not tell you yes or no. <laughs> I'm never going to tell you. It's probably smarter. Not. Probably smarter. It's accountability space and Matt. So anyway, but can you help? Could you just speak to really these precious sisters? Can you help them understand that we're not just because we are sharing this broken place doesn't mean we're always wearing the sexual glasses. Can you help explain that? I do think it's really helpful. So one, sometimes it can just be helpful to remind um, women who are opposite sex attracted that they're not attracted to every man. Right. Uh, Maybe there's someone who is, but I highly doubt it. Right. (laughs) I think that even that reframe can be helpful like oh right there are several men who i find disgusting or neutral you know <laughs> yeah. like, so the reality is just because i'm attracted to people of my same sex yeah it's it's a smaller section than all of the women who are walking about for sure i, I just think it to to help them see that my experience is actually fairly similar to their experience yep. can be helpful and i also think too um trusting me mm. That actually, if there was, um, if I was having some difficulty with them, that I would um, be seeking out the healthiest ways for me to respond. Now, that's, that's difficult, of course. At me, 16 years in my, into my walk with Christ, I think yeah. I'm more trustworthy there. Maybe my first couple years, I'm not. So you have to take that as, yeah. it, as it goes in a disciple's life. But there's something about honoring the spirit in me, honoring that I'm going to be... Um, seeking out health and also sometimes people can assume among those of us who experience same-sex attraction that like that is the discipleship issue in my life the at only all one times. Yeah, yeah yeah whereas so again in my dumpster fire years yeah you know that mm. was that was totally fair we might just go ahead and say i was struggling with same-sex attraction yeah 
right now I'm dealing primarily with selfishness probably. Yeah. That like I experience same sex attraction, but like my muscles of obedience there are much more um, bulky, I guess. Yeah. So I think it's helpful for other people to know you shouldn't assume what's the biggest discipleship thing. What's taken up my prayer windshield. Um, Let me tell you that. Ah, that was critical. I feel like you just ministered to my own soul because that's that can be a big wounding place is like people assuming the worst. <laughs> and maybe I'm assuming the worst about them about them assuming the worst about me. But <laughs> there's it's just the like the little glimmer of the eye and the like, oh, man, oh, I bet she why'd she just hug that girl? Why? And I'm like, God, please, can you please just assume the best? So thank you for that. And I do think maybe um, our brothers get it worse. Ooh, girl. Because women in our culture are a little more affectionate naturally, whereas yeah. the men in our culture are, are more inhibited. And so I think, gosh, our brothers who are walking with this and who really need affection, yeah. and it would be really helpful for them to get that affection from their brothers. But if people know, there could be this layer of suspicion. Mm. It can be really unhelpful. Yep. And even if... Even if there is a something underneath their hug or mine or your, like, can you be the sibling that loves that yeah. is not going to run from that? And I'm not saying hug tighter if you're feeling uncomfortable. I'm saying <laughs> if you're in a, in a real heart to heart sibling relationship to be like, how are you doing? It's. The issue is never the issue. There's usually a, a heart thing underneath if they're struggling yeah. more. So get close to their heart. Uh, so this sort of beautiful hmm, older sister or twin sister, I don't know, this beautiful <laughs> wisdom that you're hearing Rachel say that's ministering to my own heart right now. You guys, you hear that in her book. So please go read it. This is one that has been missing on the shelf. So please read it. Um, Rachel, my dear sister, what is a prayer or a blessing or maybe just a word that you would like to just, I don't know, just offer our audience today as they pursue this family metaphor in their Jesus following lives? I think what I would want to offer is that, um, real family, like what I mean by real, actually, because I think the church is the realist family, Mm. biological, legal families are also messy. Mm. They are messy, messy places. Um, They are pictures of some of the mess that can happen while we're in God's family in this no longer but still kind of chapter of God's story. So I just want to encourage us that um, even if we get hurt, even if we do something stupid or both of those things, Mm. there is nothing that's going to cause the face of Jesus to look at us with annoyance or with impatience or with like an eye roll of like, why are you doing this again, right? His face towards you is full of affection Hmm. wherever you are. Like that's, that's the anchoring point in the family. Like he is the good big brother. I love that in Hebrews too. He's the good big brother. And when he looks at us, he is thankful and joyful. Mm. 
Ah, beautiful, beautiful. Um, I know I'm sure Matt's going to be sad and to miss this, but he's going to be really grateful to listen back because that big brother, Jesus, has been such a, a blessing to his heart. So thank you for blessing my heart and Matt's and Steve's and just the world with this story, Rachel. It's my pleasure. Okay, this is Lori again in the present day. What did you all think of the episode? Mm. We would love to hear from you. You can go to lauriekrieg.com and you can snag the contact form and let us know if you have any questions or thoughts or if you're interested in any training we offer. Hit that contact form and one of us on our team will get back to you as soon as we can. Yeah, guys, thank you for joining us today. We are looking forward to next week's Take Two with Stephanie Tolley, how to have tough conversations with race and gender. And oh, boy. That's a lot of things. Sorry, even what you're saying, yeah, Matt. I'm like, really? Yeah, yeah, Did yeah. we handle that at the same time? Yeah. I mean, the same conversation, right? No, they're not. And she does help us distinguish between the two. All right, let's go next week for all of us here at the Hole in My Heart podcast. We'll see you next week. <laughs>